Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from a sermon once preached by Charles Spurgeon. And in its written form, this message is a part of a collection donated to the Chapel Library by Perry Boardman, who in 2001 created a 63-volume set of Spurgeon's sermons known as Spurgeon's Gems. That collection is also available online at www.spurgeongems.com. That's all one word, Spurgeon Gems. This and all of the sermons in this collection is used by permission of the Chapel Library, and you can reach them at chapel at mountzion.org. Today's message is uh, technically numbers 7 and 8 combined in the series, 7 and 8, and it's entitled Christ Crucified. Christ Crucified. It was delivered on Sabbath morning, February 11, 1855 at Exeter Hall in Strand, in the passage of scripture that he uses for his text, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 23 and 24. We go hurriedly now to part two, the final part of this message. Having spoken thus far upon the gospel rejected, I shall now briefly speak upon the gospel triumphant unto us who are called both Jews and Greeks. It is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Yonder man rejects the gospel, despises grace, laughs at it as a delusion. Here's another man who laughed at it too, but God will fetch him down upon his knees. Christ shall not die for nothing. The Holy Ghost shall not strive in vain. God has said, My word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be abundantly satisfied. If one sinner is not saved, another shall be. The Jew and the Greek shall ever depopulate heaven. The choirs of glory shall not lose a single songster by all the opposition of Jews and Greeks, for God has said it. Some shall be called, some shall be saved, some shall be rescued. As the poet said, perish the virtue as it ought abhorred, and the fool with it who insults his Lord. The atonement a Redeemer's love has wrought is not for you, the righteous need it not. See thou yon harlot wooing all she meets, the worn-out nuisance of the public streets, herself from morn to night, from night to morn, her own abhorrence, and as much your scorn. The gracious shower, unlimited and free, shall fall on her when heaven denies it to thee. Of all that wisdom dictates this the drift, that man is dead in sin and life a gift. 
If the righteous and good are not saved, if they reject the gospel, there are others who are to be called, others who shall be rescued. For Christ will not lose the merits of his agonies or the purchase of his blood unto us who are called. I, I received a note this week asking me to explain the word called. Because in one passage it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. While in another it appears that all who are called must be chosen. Now, let me observe that there are two calls. As my old friend John Bunyan says, The hen has two calls. The common cluck, which she gives daily and hourly, and the special one, which she means for her little chickens. So there is a general call, a call made to every man. Every man hears it. Many are called by it. You are all called this morning in that sense, but very few are chosen. The other is a special call, the children's call. You know how the bell sounds over the workshop to call the men to work. That's a general call. A father goes to the door and calls out, John, it's dinner time. Now that's a special call. Many are called with the general call, but they are not chosen. The special call is for the children only. And that is what is meant in the text unto us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That call is always a special one. Now, while I stand here and, and call men, nobody comes. While I preach to sinners universally, uh, no good is done. It's like the sheet lightning you sometimes see on the summer evening. Beautiful, grand, uh, but who has ever heard of anything being struck by it? But the special call is the forked flash from heaven. It strikes somewhere. It is the arrow set in between the joints of the harness. The call which saves is like that of Jesus when he said, Mary, and she said to him, Rabboni. Do you know anything about that special call, my beloved? Did Jesus ever call you by name? Can you recollect the hour when he whispered, your name in your ear when he said, come to me? If so, you will grant the truth of what I'm going to say next about it, that it is an effectual call. There's no resisting it. When God calls with his special call, there's no standing out. I know I, I laughed at religion. I despised, I abhorred it, but that call. Oh, I would not come, but God said, you shall come. <laughs> All that the Father gives to me shall come. Lord, I will not, but you shall, said God. All, uh, I've come up to God's house sometimes, almost with a resolution that I would not listen. But listen, I must. Oh, how the word came into my soul. Was there a power of resistance? No, I was thrown down. Each bone seemed to be broken. I was saved by effectual grace. I appeal to your experience, my friends. When God took you in hand, could you withstand him? You stood against your minister, times enough. Sickness did not break you down. Disease did not bring you to God's feet. 
eloquence did not convince you, but when God put his hand to the work, ah, then what a change. Like Saul, with his horses going to Damascus, that voice from heaven said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, there was no going further then. That was an effectual call. Like that, again, which Jesus gave to Zacchaeus when he was up in the tree. Stepping under the tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must abide at thy house. Zacchaeus was taken in the net. He heard his own name. The call sank into his soul. He could not stop up in the tree, for an almighty impulse drew him down. And I could tell you some singular instances of persons going to the house of God and having their characters described, limed out to perfection, so that they have said, he's, he's painting me. He's painting me. And just as I might say to that young man here who, who stole his master's gloves yesterday, that Jesus calls him to repentance. It may be that there is such a person here, and when the call comes to a peculiar character, it generally comes with a special power. God gives his ministers a brush and shows them how to use it in painting lifelike portraits, and thus the sinner hears the special call. I cannot give the special call. God alone can give it, and I leave it with him. Some must be called. Jew and Greek may laugh, but still there are some who are called, both Jews and Greeks. And then to close up this second point, it is a great mercy that many a Jew has been made to drop his self-righteousness. Many a legalist has been made to drop his legalism and come to Christ. Many a Greek has, has bowed his genius at the throne of God's gospel. We have a few such. As Cooper says, we boast some rich ones whom the gospel sways and one who wears a coronet and prays. Like gleanings of an olive tree they show, here and there one upon the topmost bow. Now we come to our third point, a gospel admired. Unto us who are called of God, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, beloved, this must be a matter of pure experience between your souls and God. If you are called of God this morning, you will know it. I know there are times when a Christian has to say, "'Tis a point I long to know, oft it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not?' But if a man never in his life knew himself to be a Christian, he never was a Christian. If he never had a moment of confidence when he could say, Now I know in whom I have believed. And I, I think I do not utter a harsh thing when I say that that man could not have been born again. For I do not understand how a man can be born again and, and not know it. I do not understand how a man can be killed and then made alive again and not know it. How a man can pass from death unto life and not know it. 
how a man can be brought out of darkness into marvelous light without knowing it. I'm sure I know it. When I shout out my old verse, quote, Now free from sin I walk at large, my Savior's blood's my full discharge. At his dear feet content I lay, a sinner saved, an homage pay. Ah, there are moments when the eyes glisten with joy and we can say we are persuaded, confident, certain. I do not wish to distress anyone who is under doubt. Often gloomy doubts will prevail. There are seasons when you fear you have not been called, when you doubt your interest in Christ. Ah, what a mercy it is that it is not your hold of Christ that saves you, but his hold of you. What a sweet fact that it is not how you grasp his hand, but his grasp of yours that saves you. Yet I think you ought to know sometime or other whether you are called of God. If so, you'll follow me in the next part of my discourse, which is a matter of pure experience. Unto us who are saved, it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The gospel is to the true believer a thing of power. It is Christ, the power of God. Aye, there is a power in God's gospel beyond all description. Once I, like Mazeppa, bound on the wild horse of my lust, bound hand and foot, incapable of resistance, was galloping on with hell's wolves behind me, howling for my body and my soul as their just and lawful prey. There came a mighty hand, which stopped that wild horse, cut my bands, set me down, and brought me into liberty. Is there power, sir? Aye, there is power. And he who has felt it must acknowledge it. There was a time when I lived in the strong old castle of my sins and rested in my works. There came a trumpeter to the door and bade me open it. I, with anger, chide him from the porch, said he ne'er should enter. There came a goodly personage with a loving countenance. His hands were marked with scars where nails were driven, and his feet had nail prints, too. He lifted up his cross, using it as a hammer. At the first blow, the gate of my prejudice shook. At the second, it trembled more. At the third, down it fell. And in he came, and he said, Arise, stand upon your feet, for I have loved you with an everlasting love. A thing of power, ah, it is a thing of power. I have felt it here, in this heart. I have the witness of the Spirit within, and I know it is a thing of might, because it has conquered me, it has bowed me down. His free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affection and held my soul fast. The gospel to the Christian is a thing of power. What is it that makes the young man devote himself as a missionary to the cause of God, to leave father and mother and go into distant lands? It is a thing of power that does it. It is the gospel. 
What is it that constrains yonder minister in the midst of the cholera to climb up that creaking staircase and stand by the bed of some dying creature who has that dire disease? It must be a thing of power which leads him to venture his life. It is love of the cross of Christ which bids him do it. What is that which enables one man to stand up before a multitude of his fellows, all unprepared it may be, but determined that he will speak nothing but Christ and him crucified? What is it that enables him to cry like the war horse of Job in battle, Aha! And move glorious in might. It is a thing of power that does it. It is Christ crucified. And what emboldens that timid female to walk down that dark lane in the wet evening that she may go and sit beside the victim of a contagious fever? What strengthens her to go through that den of thieves and pass by the profligate and profane? What influences her to enter into that charnel house of death? And there sit down and whisper words of comfort. Does gold make her do it? <laughs> they are too poor to give her gold. Does fame make her do it? She shall never be known, nor written among the mighty women of this earth. What makes her do it? Is it love of merit? No, she knows that she has no desert before high heaven. What impels her to it? It is the power of the gospel on her heart. It is the cross of Christ. She loves it. And she therefore says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But I behold another scene. A martyr is hurried to the stake. The halberd men are, are round him. The, the crowds are mocking, but he is marching steadily on. See, they, they bind him with a chain around his middle to the stake. They heap bundles of sticks all about him. The flame is lighted up. Listen to his words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The flames are kindling around his legs. The fire is burning him even to the bone. See him lift up his hands and say, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and though the fire devour this body, yet in my flesh shall I see the Lord. Behold him, clutch the stake, and kiss it as if he loved it, and hear him say, For every chain of iron that man girds me with, God shall give me a chain of gold. For all this ignominy and shame, he shall increase the weight of my eternal glory. You see, all the underparts of his body are consumed. Still he lives in the torture. At last he bows himself, and the upper part of his body falls over. And as he falls, you hear him say, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. What wondrous magic! was on him, sirs. What made that man strong? What helped him to bear that cruelty? What made him stand unmoved in the flames? It was the thing of power. It was the cross of Jesus crucified. For unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. But behold, another scene far different. 
There is no crowd here. It is a silent room. There is a poor pallet, a, a lonely bed, a physician standing by. There's a young girl. Her face is blanched by consumption. Long has the worm eaten her cheek, and though sometimes the flush came, it was the death flush of the deceitful destroyer. There she lies, weak, pale, wan, worn, dying, and yet behold a smile upon her face, as if she had seen an angel. And she speaks, and there's music in her voice. And Joan of Arc of old was, was not half so mighty as that girl. She is wrestling with dragons on her deathbed, but see her composure, and hear her dying sonnet, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the billows near me roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide. Oh, receive my soul at last. And with a smile, she shuts her eye on earth and opens it in heaven. What enables her to die like that? It's the power of God unto salvation. It is the cross. It is Jesus crucified. I have little time to discourse upon the other point and be it far for me to weary you by a lengthened and prosy sermon, but we must glance at the other statement. Christ is, to the called ones, the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. And to a believer, the gospel is the perfection of wisdom. And if it appear not so to the ungodly, it is because of the perversion of judgment consequent on their depravity. An idea has long possessed the public mind that a religious man can scarcely be a wise man. It has been the custom to talk of infidels, atheists, and deists as men of deep thought, comprehensive intellect, and to tremble for the Christian controversialist as if he must surely fall by the hand of his enemy. But this is purely a mistake. For the gospel is the sum of wisdom, an epitome of knowledge, a treasure house of truth, and a revelation of mysterious secrets. In it, we see how justice and mercy may be married. Here, we behold inexorable law entirely satisfied, and sovereign love bearing away the sinner in triumph. Our meditation upon it enlarges the mind, and as it opens to our soul in successive flashes of glory, we stand astonished at the profound wisdom manifested in it. Ah, dear friends, if you seek wisdom, you shall see it displayed in all its greatness, and not in the balancing of the clouds, nor the firmness of earth's foundations, but not in the measured march of the armies of the sky, nor in the perpetual motion of the waves of the sea, not in vegetation, with all its fairy forms of beauty, not, not in the animal with its marvelous tissue of nerve and vein and sinew, not even in man, that last and loftiest work of the Creator. But turn aside and see this great sight, an incarnate God upon a cross.
a substitute, atoning for mortal guilt, a sacrifice, satisfying the vengeance of heaven and delivering the rebellious sinner. Here is essential wisdom, enthroned, crowned, glorified. Admire you, men of earth, if you be not blind. And you who glory in your learning, bend your heads in reverence and own that all your skill could not have devised a gospel at once so just to God and so safe to man. Remember, my friends, that while the gospel is in itself wisdom, it also confers wisdom on its students. She teaches young men wisdom and discretion and gives understanding to the simple. A man who is a believing admirer and a hearty lover of the truth, as it is in Jesus, is in a right place to follow with advantage any other branch of science. I confess I have a, a shelf in my head for, for everything now. Whatever I read, I know where to put it. Whatever I learn, I know where to stow it away. Once when I read books, I put all my knowledge together in glorious confusion. But ever since I have known Christ, I have put Christ in the center as my son, S-U-N, and each science revolves round it like a planet, while minor sciences are satellites to these planets. Christ is to me the wisdom of God. I can learn everything now. The science of Christ crucified is the most excellent of sciences. She is to me the wisdom of God. Oh, young man, build your studio on Calvary. There raise your observatory and scan by faith the lofty things of nature. Take you a, a hermit's cell in the Garden of Gethsemane and lave your brow with the waters of Siloah. Let the Bible be your standard classic, your last appeal in matters of contention. Let its light be your illumination, and you shall become more wise than Plato, more truly learned than the seven sages of antiquity. And now, my dear friends, solemnly and earnestly, as in the sight of God, I appeal to you. You are gathered here this morning, I know, from different motives. Some of you have come from curiosity. Others of you are my regular hearers. Some have come from one place, some from another. What have you heard me say this morning? I've told you of two classes of persons who reject Christ. The religionist who has a religion of form and nothing else, and the man of the world who calls our gospel foolishness. Now, Put your hand upon your heart and ask yourself this question. Am I one of these? If you are, then walk the earth in all your pride. Then go as you came in. But, but know that for all this, the Lord shall bring you into judgment. Know you that your joys and delights shall vanish like a dream and like the baseless fabric of a vision be swept away forever. Know you this, moreover, O oh man, that one day in the halls of Satan, down in hell, I perhaps may see you among those myriad spirits who revolve forever in a perpetual circle with their hands upon their hearts, 
if your hand be transparent and your flesh transparent, I shall look through your hand and flesh and see your heart within. And how shall I see it? Set in a case of fire. In a case of fire. And there you shall revolve forever with the worm gnawing within your heart, which shall never die. A case of fire around your never dying, ever tortured heart. Good God, let not these men still reject and despise Christ. But let this be the time when they shall be called. To the rest of you who are called, I need say nothing. The longer you live, the more powerful will you find the gospel to be. The more deeply Christ taught you are, the more you live under the constant influence of the Holy Spirit, the more you will know the gospel to be a thing of power, and the more also will you understand it to be a thing of wisdom. May every blessing rest upon you, and may God come up with us in the evening. Here's another poem to close. Let men or angels dig the mines where nature's golden treasure shines. Brought near the doctrine of the cross, all nature's gold appears but dross. Should vile blasphemers with disdain pronounce the truths of Jesus vain, we'll meet the scandal and the shame and sing and triumph in his name. Amen. Get at the end of a message like that, all you can say is amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Do come back. Next time, in real time, we'll be doing the book of Hebrews, and then the time after that, we'll do another message from Charles Spurgeon. It's been uh, wonderful sharing all of this with you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.